the only thing I'll add to it, it, it that that to me is success, that to me is happiness, and to me is the most important. What money allows me to do is just have freedom in life. I, I can do anything I want at any given time within reason. I can be anywhere. I, there's very little holding me back. If I wanted to wake up today and book a trip to somewhere, assuming that there was no coronavirus, I, I, I could do it. And to me, that that's what money allows you to do is just that freedom and, and flexibility in life. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Okay, welcome back to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Another episode here, another week. This is episode number 148, almost a 150 episodes. It's been about two and a half years of the show now. So, Jace, what's going on? How are you? Not a lot. Doing great. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. We were just talking a little bit before. We had a couple interviews. One guy, uh, a refugee, recently retired, 61 years old, net worth of almost $4 million, 3.8. So that'll be an, an interesting interview. And then another guy who works in construction so some some fun interviews uh coming up pretty amazing the guy came over 17 years old as a refugee with about 10 bucks he said right and now almost four million pretty remarkable yeah we're getting a few new states represented too and some new uh, professions so it's great you know appreciate all those writing in uh definitely love telling the stories and, and strategies and diving into the portfolios it helps helps what makes this show great yeah so thanks to everybody who's come on and share that their story we always welcome more um, be great to hear from other people. Last week we had Doug. He had a great story, net worth of about a million dollars, an engineer. He's invested primarily in real estate and also had an ESOP plan. So pretty interesting there. On today's show, we have a fun interview coming up with with Nathan. He's an entrepreneur, net worth of over a million dollars. He's pretty frugal. He buys used cars and has no mortgage, which is always an interesting uh, discussion with our millionaires. He, he started several companies, all of which he says less than 5000 um, he's 30% invested in the stock market and recently invested in an opportunity zone fund. So I think those, have, you know, obviously we've heard more about those recently. So that's, that's pretty interesting as well. Another thing, Jace, we were talking about here tonight or, or recently you sent an article here. It's in, what is this? CNBC, right? It says Harvard lecture, no specific skill will get you ahead in the future, but this way of thinking will. And the, and the way of thinking is, is being more of a generalist, right? Yeah, I think for the longest time where you talk about getting specific skill sets and, and maybe, you know, entering the market with a specific skill set and, you know, he gives the example of, you know, somebody becoming a doctor and then maybe they go into cardiology and they become, you know, a pediatric cardiology specialist or something. And, and that's kind of the way of, of the past. And now, uh, you know, he gives some, some examples that, you know, companies are looking for people that are adaptable and that, and that can change. And so maybe they do have a, a certain skill set, uh, but they're able to adapt and become more of a generalist or adapt some general ways of thinking. And, you know, it brings up that the, you know, head recruiter at Google uh, recently basically said that if we, if we hire somebody to do a specific job and then, you know, our company, let's just say Google, for example, needs that job to change well if the person's not able to adapt then they really don't have much value for the company anymore right right and and in that same article it says there's an off-quoted saying i haven't heard this saying but i I like it there's an off-quoted saying that to a man with a hammer everything looks like nails but what if that man had a hammer a screwdriver and a wrench 
right? And so I think they're just saying, look, you can start to think differently. And I don't know if you've read it. I haven't, but this article reminded me of a book called Range. It came out in, in May. I'm just looking at it on Amazon, May of, of 2019, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. So I wonder if, if that's kind of a, a similar thing, but have you, have you read that? No, I haven't read that book, but uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with the, the author here and I've seen it within, you know, my own profession that for the most part, those that have a more well-rounded skill set, I guess, if you will, and not so niche down in, in one specific skill, you know, they, you know, for the most part, they've been able to navigate, make better decisions be more adaptable, adaptable, like this, this person says, or this, in this article and this author. And, you know, he's done significant amount of research uh, related to this topic. And it's hard to, to envision, I guess, the world that we're starting to move into with the rapid advance of technology and artificial intelligence. And the fact that a lot of this is, is become commoditized information. And so he basically says like, look, the skill of, of connecting dots is, is losing value. And the, the skill of the future is, well, basically not a skill. It's an approach and a, and a philosophy and a way of thinking. And it's it's critical that we learn to adapt. And I think that's ever more present, you know, for our generation, especially more so than, than maybe what our, our parents experienced in their workforce. And, and, you know, I just think all the businesses that get started every year, too. I mean, there's so many entrepreneurs that start businesses in fields that they literally have no skills in. They just see an opportunity or or decide to go in a different direction. I think that a lot of the businesses that pass, and don't get me wrong, there's still businesses that are started this way, but usually somebody had worked in a, in a company and had seen a, a product or a niche or something in, within that business or within that industry that, that they could capitalize on. That still happens today, but I see you're seeing more and more of entrepreneurs start businesses in fields that are completely unrelated to, to where they came from or, you know, industry that they've been in before. Right. And I, and I think realistically, the people that are probably the most careers. I mean, entrepreneurs are a bit of an anomaly, right? Because you could start something and it could be totally different. But those that work their way up in a career or even switch industries here and there have some sort of niche, right? Some sort of specialty. And then they have a general knowledge or problem solving ability on, on multiple fronts, right? I think if you're too generalized, it starts to be like, well, you can do this job, you can do this job, you can do this job. But you know, what am I going to pay you that much to really do? You don't have a specialty that somebody else can't do. Yeah, necessarily. yeah. So I think at, at least for a base, you have to have a core, you know, understanding or specialty or ability to do something. And then from there, those that excel are the ones that are, in, in a sense, generalists that can that can think differently and approach problems in a unique way. So just a pretty interesting article we came, came across, thought it was worth sharing. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us an email. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Same email if you're interested in being on the show. So always love to have new guests and welcome anybody that wants to reach out or just discuss something or, or share a comment. If you enjoy the show, if you get something out of it, if you enjoy hearing a story from the millionaires, we appreciate you leaving a, a solid review, a good review on, on any of the platforms that you listen to. So Thanks again for listening, and, and if you're interested, again, in some multifamily opportunities, multifamily investment opportunities, we may have something coming up here shortly. So feel free to reach out, and we'll, we'll jump on a quick call with you to discuss and then, and then send over a little bit more information. So thanks again for listening, and l- without any further delay, please help me welcome Nathan to the show. Nathan, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? 
Yeah, and thanks so much for having me. I, I'm a, a longtime entrepreneur. I mean, growing up, my, my parents always told me to go to college, get a real job, work for 30 years, and, and retire. And I, growing up, I always had 40, 50-hour-a-week summer jobs, summer internships, and I really got a glimpse into what life was like after college, and I wanted no part of it. So when I got to college, I, I started hustling. I, I took that summer money and started buying people's textbooks, really getting a glimpse into being an entrepreneur eventually got a, a cease and desist letter from my college telling them to telling me to stop competing with the school bookstore and at the time it was a little bit devastating but it helped me pivot and I got into from selling books on Amazon to selling baby products and toys and really starting a, a drop shipping business and making money at a, a young age and through growing that business I started to hire virtual assistants because in love with the VA, the virtual assistant space. I ended up building my own VA marketplace called FreeUp, uh, a platform that pre-vetted VAs um, and had great customer service on the back end in case anything happened. And I scaled that business from a $5,000 investment to doing $12 million a year in revenue four years later. And at the end of, of 2019, last year, uh, we were acquired. And, and that was pretty cool. And now that I'm done with that acquisition, I'm focused on a new venture called Outsource School, where we teach people how to use virtual assistants and, and run a remote business. So that, that's a super short story. But I really have been an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. I've never had a real job. And I kind of jumped around from Amazon to starting free up to having an exit to now focusing on my new venture, Outsource School. Wow, that's awesome. I kind of want to get into, into the entrepreneurial journey and the story. So you're a millionaire. How do you allocate all your resources in, in terms of your investments? Do you spend all your money going into a new venture? Or how does that kind of work for you? Yeah, so I've started all three of my businesses with less than $5,000. I've never been one to just dump $100,000 into anything. I'm definitely much more on the, the conservative side. Um, I'm a pretty frugal person. I don't buy cars or, or anything like that. I also just believe in absolutely no debt. So I bought my place straight up. I have no mortgage, no loans, no anything. I don't buy anything unless I, I can afford it. Um, and then allocating money. I Right now, about 30% of my money is in the stock market. About 10% of my money is what I, it's in real estate. It's what I consider more high risk. So I sold my business at the end of 2019 and I took advantage of like an opportunity zone fund. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. Um, so that's a little bit more risky. And I, for those of you that don't know, it, it's an opportunity if you have capital gains to put money into uh, real estate in an up and coming neighborhood, maybe a bad neighborhood. That That's more on the risky side. And I have a little bit uh, other money into REITs. I don't own any real estate outright. And then the rest of it, just because of the point of time that we're in right now, is in more fixed price, fixed assets, CDs, bonds. On stuff like that because I didn't want to sell a company and take all that cash and dump it into the stock market, which looks like a good decision now with everything that's going on. Totally. So the money that you have had invested in the, in the equities market, how is that kind of broken up? Is that any tax protected accounts, stocks? What's kind of the makeup there? Yeah. So a good part of it's in a retirement account for both my uh, Portlight, which was my Amazon business and FreeUp. Uh, both had a retirement account that I was maxing out every single year. And th that's where a, a lot of that money is. And then what I actually do, because I'm kind of a competitive person, the, the stuff that's not in the retirement accounts, I have divided up into two individual accounts. One is by a financial manager who's running it. And then another is I'm running it. So I, I kind of compete with him to see if I can make more money than him long term. And We'll see how that plays out over the next 30 years. So, Nathan, just backing up here to the beginning, right? You said you, you, you didn't necessarily want a big job. And in college, you were entrepreneurial. 
How did that start? Were your did, were your parents entrepreneurial? Did they teach you that? Did you kind of get a taste of it during an internship and figure out you didn't like it? How, how did you become so entrepreneurial from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, my parents were both teachers, so they they always wanted me to take the real job. And and going into college, I had had a lot of summer jobs, summer internships. I grew up in East Longmeadow, which was a, a middle class ta- neighborhood, and I went to school in Longmeadow because my dad was a teacher there. And in Longmeadow, all the kids' parents were doctors, lawyers, dentists, business owners. So all my friends had way more than me growing up, and. It was never more evident than during the summers and winters when I was working 40, 50 hour week jobs and and they were outside playing and enjoying their vacation. But I learned just a ton about sales and marketing and business and working with people. But I also learned that I hated working for other people. I hated having a boss. I was walking, watching the clock every single day. So in my mind, I, I kind of got a glimpse of what life was like after college. And when I got to college, I looked at it as a ticking clock. I had four years to start my own business or I was going to go out into the real world and have to get a job. And I even had an internship up until my sophomore year of college. And when I started my Amazon business, I remember that the day that I woke up, that I went to my internship and I'm looking at sales on my phone and I'm making more money on my phone than I'm making on my internship. And that's when I, I quit and I've never had a, a job since. And at the time, my parents were a little unsure of me quitting the internship. It was going to lead to a great job with health insurance and everything after college. But I mean, they've always been very supportive in any direction. So Nathan, a lot of people that are entrepreneurial, I don't want to say got lucky because I don't think you got lucky. You obviously grinded and had good ideas and worked hard at it to be successful, right? But a lot of people that are entrepreneurial maybe don't, you know, whatever the phrasing is, catch their break. Why was it different for you? Were you ever nervous that maybe, I mean, I guess at this point, one your first company was kind of already up and going, but small business can be risky and entrepreneurial journeys can be risky for a lot of people, right? Yeah, it's definitely risky. I kind of had the mentality that I was young. I didn't have a family. I was in college. I was going to get my degree anyway. I have a degree right next to me hanging up on the wall that that I've never used. So I had a backup plan. If I didn't start a business that was successful, I I was going to finish college with a degree, with a good GPA, and hopefully be able to, to get a job at that time. So for me, it was like, hey, I'm young. I'm 20. Let's take risks. And it wasn't like I was taking a crazy amount of risks. One of the cool things about just living in this time, minus the whole corona thing right now, is you don't need that much money to start a business. You can start a business with less than $5,000. And for me, it's all about tweaking and trial and error. I, I went from books, which was working a little bit, but they were heavy and I didn't really have a place to store them. And my college didn't like that I was doing it. and I didn't want to get kicked out of college. And then I did a lot of experimenting. I tried sporting equipment and video games and computers and and stuff I was familiar with as a college student. And I just failed over and over and over. And it wasn't until through trial and error, I came across baby products that I finally found something I could sell. I finally found something that I could have margin. So to me, the mentality is a lot of entrepreneurs are like, this is a business I want to create. I'm going to go in that direction. That's the only thing I want to do. Where for me, it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to try something. I'm going to see if it works. If it doesn't, I'm going to adjust. I'm going to keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And even with FreeUp, when we started that with a $5,000 investment, we made this really crummy software that did very, very little. Freelancers could log in, clients could log in, they could record time. And that was pretty much it. 
And we just took it to market and we listened to feedback. We talked to our customers. We talked to the freelancers. We found out what they wanted. And instead of making a five-year plan saying, hey, this is the company we're building. Let's start building it. We just took it to market, listened to people and slowly adjusted to what people wanted, which helped us build over time and not have to dump $100,000 into something and then hope that the market liked it, if that made sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So free up, that's kind of your sector. That's your your second company, right? Right. And so Portlight was the first one you started selling textbooks. Uh, free up was was the niche, I guess, against Upworks and Fivers, right? Like remote right. work. How, let me ask you this first. How many hours a week did you work or how was this kind of your life for a while when you were building all these since 2008-ish, nine? Yeah, I think for the Amazon business, it was kind of a crazy time. I was in college, so I was balancing like work, partying, friends, girlfriend, school, and business. So, I mean, my life was just hectic 24-7, and I was probably working 10 to 12 hours a day, but I, I wasn't working 10 to 12 hours a day just straight up. When I started working free up, like any business, that first year, you're, you're working all the time. You're working, I don't know if it's 24-7, but it's pretty close. And then over time, we started hiring people and we built up a really good team and, and I got to back off a little bit. But you're always going to have that time that something blows up on the weekends, the software stops working, or there's an issue at 8 p.m. on a Friday. And are you going to ignore it? Or are you going to take it? So that part of being an entrepreneur is there. But I think as I've gotten more mature and as I've gotten better at hiring and working with my business partner, Connor, and delegating it and making sure that I have time for myself, I've gotten better at that and not working 20-hour days. I also live a remote lifestyle. So I opened up an office with the Amazon business around year five and six, and that was one of the worst business decisions I ever made. I, I added overhead to a business that didn't need it. I quickly got rid of that as soon as I realized it was a bad fit. I felt like I had created a, a nine to five job for myself. And ever since then, I've been remote. So even when I'm working, I can travel, obviously not now because of Corona, but I can travel and, and be anywhere at any given time. And it kind of balances that flexibility with being an entrepreneur where there are a lot of hours, there are a lot of things to get done. Nathan, let me ask you, you, you bring up business partners. Have you had a partner in all these businesses? And, and if so, how do you go about finding a, a good partner? <laughs> so I have had a business partner. I So back when I was Back when I was running the Amazon business and I was making money for the first time, my parents told me I should probably pay taxes, right? So <laughs> I met with an accountant and the first question he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off, like, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. They're going to steal my ideas and, and all the typical excuses entrepreneurs have. And he just laughed in my face and said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Well, sure enough, my first busy season comes around the fourth quarter, Christmas, everyone's buying toys, everyone's buying baby products, and I just get destroyed. I'm working 10, 20 hours a day, my social life plummets, my grades go down, and I just work my butt off for six to eight weeks to keep this business alive. And when I get to January, I think to myself, oh my God, he was right. I need to start hiring people right now. So I'm 20. I know nothing about hiring. I post a job on Facebook and this guy in my business law class messages me and says, hey, I, I don't know what you do, but I, I need a job. And I hire him on the spot without even interviewing it. Amazing hire. He's hardworking. He's smart. And I eventually make it my business partner. His name's Connor Gillivan. And we've been working together for, for 10 years now. So I get super lucky right from the beginning. At the same time, there I am thinking, man, this hiring thing is easy. You post a job, someone shows up, you make more money. And it wasn't the case at all. I proceeded to make a lot of bad hires after that, learning a, a lot of valuable lessons about hiring. But Connor, my business partner, was 
really my first hire. And, and the cool thing about Connor, and this is important for anyone that, that wants a business partner, is we have exactly opposite skill sets. I'm much more high energy. I'm more of the face. I go on podcasts. I'm more of that. He's much more behind the scenes, more technical, more content. And, but we have the same values. We have the same beliefs. We believe in treating people well and customer service and relationships. So that to me, that's the key to finding a good business partner. And I'm extremely fortunate that I found that early on. Do you think you would be as successful without a partner? No, I, I honestly, I'm unsure if I could run a business without Connor right now, just because we, we just divide and conquer so well. And I mean, I'm sure he could have success without me and I'm sure on some level I, I could have it without him, but we definitely wouldn't grow as fast or, or be able to build what we were able to build together. Totally. Would you say there's any negatives in, in having a business partner at all? I, so I had a business partner with my Amazon business, a third business partner, and I'm still friends with him for this to this day. Um, but it, it, we just it couldn't work well together. He was a we just were on different pages. We worked at different speeds, and that that probably ended uglier than we wanted it to. Although, like I said, we're friends now, and we were also younger and more mature. So, I mean, having a business partner is risky, and when you get into it, it it's almost like worse than uh, trying to get out of a marriage because a marriage, a lot of times, you can get a divorce and move on, and that can get messy too. But a lot of times with a business partner, depending on how you write up the agreements, is really tough to get out of it. And you might want different things. One person might not want to leave. One person might want more than the other person is willing to give. So that it, there's just a risk that goes along with getting a business partner that you have to understand up front. You have to get everything in writing. And Connor and I always say that, hey, we're going to write up a really good agreement for it, whenever we start a new company, which we do, and then we're going to put that agreement away and never look at it again. And that's really the goal. And if something comes up, we're going to talk it out and try to figure it out. We're not going to go back to the agreement and say, oh, in paragraph 10, it says this. Um, but that's kind of the mentality you have to have. You have to really document everything up front, protect yourself, and then hopefully build a relationship with someone where it doesn't go down that path. Totally. So I want to ask you something that we that we tend to ask all the entrepreneurs that, that come on or business owners that come on our show. How do you determine how much money to invest back in your business to grow it versus take some off the table and put it in, say, the equities you put it into or some of the real estate or, or you know, the, the fund that you put it in, the opportunity fund? How do you determine how much to put into each of those things versus reinvest? Yeah, great question. So when I started my Amazon business, I pretty much took all the money out that I possibly could. I was young. I was making money for the first time. And that wasn't that great for actually growing the business. And then once we graduated, Connor and I sat down and we said, you know what? Let's grow this thing. Let's build an empire. Let's take down Amazon and e-commerce. And, and so we invested everything back into the business and we took very little out. I think we were paying each other $30,000 a year for two or three years. And that obviously wasn't the best strategy either because as Amazon got harder, it became harder to do. And we wished at some point we had taken more money out, even though we had taken money out the years before. So we try to invest 20 to 40% back in the business, but then take money out. And then when we take the money out, then it's more of a personal thing. Connor can do what he wants with his money. For, for me, I kind of, I'm more on the conservative side. I mentioned that I'm more about 30% stocks, about 10 to 20% more high risk stuff. And then the rest of it is more in safer assets. Although if we were in a different economic climate, I, I might invest more of that into, into different things. So that that's kind of my mentality on business is if you're growing a business, you have to be able to take some money out. If you're not, then you might regret doing that later. But you, there's a certain part of it that you have to invest back in for, for higher
hiring for software for for different things like that and you really have to figure out what that percentage is. If you want to be super aggressive, maybe it's in that 40 to 60%. If you want to be more conservative, maybe it's in that 10 to 25%. But if you're not taking some amount of money out of your business, you, in my opinion, you'll eventually regret that later on. Yeah. So Nathan, you've done these three times now, these, these businesses, right? And maybe more if you've done smaller business on the sides that you haven't mentioned to us. What drives you now? Do you still find it <laughs> Do you still find it fun to go build a business and, and kind of have an exit? Do you Are you starting to think, hey, this was fun. I've done it three times. I have some money now. I kind of want to wind it down. Or what's kind of your driving factor now? Yeah, I mean, I'm only 30. So it's not, it's not time for me to retire or anything like that. I don't even know what I would do if I retire. I don't think I'm one to just sit on the beach. And I live a remote lifestyle anyway. So assuming that you can travel, I'm, I travel all the time. I just got back from Denver. I was skiing in the mountains. So I, I, I enjoy my lifestyle. And, and part of what I enjoy is building things. And business gives me the opportunity to do that. I also enjoy giving back. I mean, for my Amazon business, it was a very selfish business just in the stance that who was I really helping? I was helping me. I was helping my team. I was helping my manufacturers. But the cool thing about FreeUp, and the Amazon business got old after a while because of that. But the cool thing about FreeUp was we were helping not only me and my internal team, but we were helping all the clients, all the entrepreneurs that were pursue, pursuing their passion, their dream, and needed good talent to help them do it. We were helping the VAs. A lot of them were in third world countries. We paid out over $7 million last year to virtual assistants and freelancers through FreeUp. And people were showing me their houses, their cars, things they were able to do to provide for their family. And that was incredibly rewarding. And then with Outsource School, we're donating a percentage of all sales to Teach for the Philippines, a, a great organization that provides education to Filipino children. And we've been very involved in, in the Filipino VA community for, for years now. And, and hopefully we get to help other entrepreneurs through our education on hiring remote VAs, teaching them how to interview, onboard, train, and manage. So to me, building businesses is fun. Building businesses that give back to different communities is fun. But I prefer to do with my, my, my time or my work time instead of just sitting on the beach reading a book 24-7. What, it, what does it mean? We ask this to, to most everyone that comes on the show now. What does it mean to be happy or fulfilled to you? Is, 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 is it what you just mentioned? Is it helping people out and helping them be able to drive their lives? Is it, is it starting a successful business? Is it feeling like you have a purpose? What's kind of the, what, what's your, I mean, the deeper root? And, and maybe along that way, has the money that you've earned from selling these business or even running these business brought happiness to you? Or has that kind of leveled out at a certain degree? Yeah, great question. So everything I just mentioned, absolutely. That like that that is why I run a business. To me, that that's happiness, that's success. Um, I think that I went through. I think most entrepreneurs do this. They go through a little bit of a honeymoon period when they first started making money. Back with my Amazon business, I was making hundreds of thousand dollars a year, and I went on a cruise. I bought a new car, like I, even though it was a Subaru, but I, it was just like you spend a little bit of money, and you're like, oh, this is great, I can spend money, and then it just gets old really quick, and you're like, all right, this isn't fulfilling, this isn't rewarding. Um, I, I need to pursue something that I actually enjoy doing that gives back. The only thing I'll add to it that that to me is success, to me is happiness, and to me is the most important. What money allows me to do is just have freedom in life. I, I can do anything I want at any given time within reason. I can be anywhere. I, there's very little holding me back. If I wanted to wake up today and book a trip to somewhere, assuming that there was no coronavirus, I, I, I could do it. And to me, that that's what money allows you to do is just that freedom and, and flexibility in life, which I really hated when I was um, doing those internships and the jobs where 
where, hey, I had to be in at nine. I could only leave at five. I had very little flexibility, little, very little vacations, very little whatever. So to me, it's about giving back, but also having that freedom in life to pursue and do things that, that you enjoy with the people that you enjoy. Yeah, totally. So along that line, then when you've built the companies, when you've had the freedom, when you've had the flexibility a little bit, and then the money's come, how do you kind of avoid the the trap? And, and maybe you don't, or maybe you don't want to keeping up with the Joneses and kind of a lifestyle creep and spending a bunch of money. And, and how have you been able to avoid that? Is it more just your personality? I, I give my parents 100% credit for that. So my parents were both teachers growing up. I, I think you can imagine what a teacher's salary is. And my parents right now, they're in their late 60s and 70s. Um, they're retired. They travel the world all the time. And the reason that they're able to do that is because they saved. They saved. They saved. They were super frugal growing up. I remember when we used to go skiing, they wouldn't let me buy French fries because that was a waste of money and overpriced at the ski resort. Like They were really, really frugal. And they taught me everything. Thing about buying stocks and investing early. And, and when you make money, don't just spend it all away all the time, put it in a savings account and build it up over time and, and compound interest. So in my mind, I feel like that that's always going to be built into my head. Whenever I, I make money, it's like, all right, like, well, how do, what do I do to prepare for the future? What do I do to retire? What do I do to, to save? And it's almost like a, the way I just good or bad, but it's almost like a, a guilt thing when I go to buy something. It's like, oh, do I really need this? And, and that's because I was just taught that at a very young age. Yeah, yeah, good answer. And, and it probably comes, you know, but it's hard sometimes when you start making money and being successful to scale it back or not spend as much. And, and I mean, rightfully so, I don't think everyone always has to do that, right? I think you you obviously can or should spend more if you, if you make significantly more. But, you know, some people, I think, struggle going too far in that direction. So just curious to hear your take. So I want to ask you, Nathan, about something that a lot of small business or, you know, online workers or people struggle with, even at, even at day jobs, right, is, is outsourcing and delegating their work. And I think there's kind of two, there's a few methods of thought, right? On one hand, it can be, hey, I can do it better than somebody that I outsource to because I care about it more and I'll work harder and I understand what I want. B is, hey, I don't want to pay for it. Right. I, I, I don't I don't want to pay for it. I don't think it'll bring me as much value and I'm not making as much money right now. So why would I pay to have somebody do it? What are your what are your thoughts there? How are you able to kind of grasp it? I know you talked a little bit about it earlier and learning the hard way when you were working so much. But how and when and, and why should somebody outsource work? Yeah. So uh, there's very few sole entrepreneurs out there that are doing $5 million a year, $1 million a year. It really just doesn't exist. If you want to grow your business, hiring is really the only way up. And we live in, in a pretty incredible time. You don't have to hire people full time. You don't have to hire people in your town or the towns near you. You get access to people all over the world with different skills, different price points. You can hire them project-based, part-time, full-time, whatever you need, whatever time zone you need. And if you're not taking advantage of that flexibility, you're your competitors are and you're really missing out. So to me, hiring is a part of business. It's almost like marketing. Let's say that you you market for three months and, and you, that marketing campaign doesn't work. You don't just wake up one day and say, oh, marketing's not for me. I, I'm not going to market my business anymore. But for some reason, people do that with hiring. They make some bad hires or it doesn't go well, whatever it is. And they're like, oh, hiring's not for me. I can't do it. I'm going to do everything myself. And if you do that, you really just put a ceiling on what your business is. And what I recommend people do is 
figure out how much, like I said before, how much you want to invest back into your business. And we have a cool VA calculator. If you go to outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator that will, you can put in the numbers of your business and it'll tell you how many VAs you can afford right now. Is it two full-time? Is it one part-time? And that's really the starting point. And the key to really growing a business, especially in years one to three, is you need to be focused on the high-level stuff, the sales, the marketing, the expansion. If you're doing the bookkeeping, if you're doing responding to every single customer email and and really doing the day-to-day of your business, that stuff's not moving your business forward. So you have to shift your mentality to, hey, I need to be doing growth stuff. You can start off very basic by just creating a list of of everything you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis and prioritize it easiest to hardest and start chipping away at the top and getting five hours a week back, getting eight hours a week back. And that's what's going to accelerate your business forward. Yeah, really interesting. So you mentioned advertising there. I'm just curious, what what are what are the advertising methods that you found to be most successful? Is it is it social media? Is it, you know, more traditional methods? What have you found to be the best for you? Obviously it depends on the company and product, but what do you find successful? Yeah. So I was in a unique position with, with free up where you have the upworks and the fibers of the world, right? And I wasn't going to compete with them on marketing budgets and advertising budgets. So we, we didn't really market that much. We didn't really spend money on ads that much. We spent about a thousand dollars a month on retargeting ads on Facebook and Google. But what we did do is do a really good job of organic scaling. So we created an affiliate program, which any business owner listening, you should have that. That should be on your website. You should tell every single person that you talk to about it. And then we networked. I tried to network with three new entrepreneurs every single day. I'm not pitching them. I'm just getting to know them, seeing if I could add value. If there's any way to work together, great. If not, it's great meeting other people in the space and you build your network. Then I look for partnerships. I look for people that have the same audience, but do something different. If I'm going after Amazon sellers for free up, I'm going to try to partner with Amazon software companies because same audience, different product. I'll promote it to my community. They promote free up to their community and it's a win-win for everyone. Next, I put out content. Anyone that wants to can follow me on social media, the real Nate Hirsch, or sorry, yeah, the real Nate Hirsch on Instagram and Twitter, Nathan Hirsch on LinkedIn and Facebook. I put out content every day, free content to help people about VAs, about hiring, about mistakes. And with that, you and the networking and a combination of partnerships, you slowly start to build a following. And then lastly, podcasts and influencers. So going on podcasts, sharing your story, getting in front of other people's audiences. Um, we're also trying to get the influencers in your space. And that doesn't mean go after the Gary V's and the Ezra Firestones, maybe go after the smaller ones, people that are coaches that have the ideal audience for you or someone that has a Facebook group of 5,000 people that are your ideal audience and try to either partner with them, try to do a live, try to get in front of their community in in a nice, respectful way. And when you slowly do those things over time, that's how you organically grow a business. And I will say with Outsource School, now that we're kind of out of the, we're not providing VA and freelancer services, so we're no longer competing with Upwork and Fiverr in that capacity. There will be an advertising component of Outsource School that we didn't really have at FreeUp, but all that organic stuff, we're still going to apply. It's the same playbook, just a different business. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So Nathan, I'm curious, how many conferences do you attend a year to network and meet new new entrepreneurs and people? <laughs> Great question. So two years ago, I went to a lot of conferences. I probably went to 15 to 20 of them. And at the time I I was like, oh, I've gone a lot of podcasts. I want to become a speaker. I want to travel the world. I want to go on stages. And I didn't like it. Not that I didn't like being on stage, but I didn't like the travel. I didn't like the the time commitments. It kind of pulled me away from the business. So 
after that, I was like, okay, we need to scale it back. And that last year, I probably attended five to 10. So I scaled it back a little bit. And this year, since I just sold free up in November 2019, I was actually going to take the entire year off of going to conferences. That was my plan. Just get a little breather, focus on growing this business. Once we get outsource school running more, then I can go the next year. Corona obviously canceled all the conferences anyway. So that kind of worked out. But I would say my going forward, I'll probably attend three to five conferences a year. Awesome. So, Nate, you've got these businesses that you've sold. You've got another one you're starting, built up a great net worth. You've got a great portfolio. Where do you go from here? Are you trying to get to a certain exit point with your businesses, trying to build a certain net worth or passive income? What's kind of the goal down the road? Yeah. So the free up sale kind of came out of the blue. I mean, we, it was one of our clients that reached out to us and we weren't going around trying to, to find a buyer necessarily. And we kind of have the same focus with outsource school. We're focused on building outsource school. We're focused on providing great courses and software to our customers. And if we build a great business that has a revenue stream that has value, the rest is going to take care of itself. And if someone comes with an offer, just like any other business decision, we'll hear it out. We'll see if it's the right one and, and move forward. Um, I think personally, I mean, everyone's goal is to to grow their net worth. I mean, I, I, I'm at a, a, a solid point right now. I mean, who knows what ends up happening with the, the market anyway. Um, I don't have like a, oh my God, I want to be worth $50 million or anything like that. I'm much more focused on, hey, let's grow this business. Let's make smart business decisions. Let's make smart personal decisions with the money that I have. And build it and continue to, to have that net worth go up over time instead of going in the opposite direction. Yeah. So let me just ask in closing here about mistakes and advice, right? Obviously, you've, you've probably made a ton of mistakes, not to take anything away from you, and you probably have a ton of advice, right? So what are kind of the top two or three lessons that have stood out to you, either mistakes you've made or things you're glad you did along this whole entrepreneurial journey? <laughs> yeah. So if we're talking on the business side, I think getting getting away from an Amazon business where I was 100% reliant on a third party that could shut me down at any time was a good business decision. And, and building my own brand was a good one. Um, bad decision, opening up an office. That was a, a gigantic waste of money and time and hassle. And, and that was probably my worst business decision. Personal decision, <laughs> I bought a, a penny stock called Drop like way back in the day. And I spent a few thousand dollars on it and just lost it all with in like a few months. So in my mind, that was a very valuable lesson that um, penny stocks are very risky and I'm probably going to avoid them. Um, back in 2008, I did buy a lot of Amazon and real estate, or sorry, Amazon and Apple stock. I wish I'd bought real estate, but I, I Amazon and Apple stock um, obviously did very well since, since 2008. So we're, we're about to go into uh, potentially a, a recession now. And who knows if it's going to play out the same thing, the same way as 2008. So instead of just dumping all your money into it and just assuming, oh, it's going to go up, we're going to get back. I think there, there has to be a slightly different approach. And you yes, you have to learn from past experiences, but you also have to understand that past success or past failure doesn't necessarily repeat itself in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So Nathan, tell us where people can find more about you and get a hold of you. Yeah, so I'm one of the easiest entrepreneurs to, to contact online. Reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn, Nathan Hirsch, uh, Twitter or, or Instagram, The Real Nate Hirsch. Connect with me there. Go to OutsourceSchool.com. We'd love for you to join our newsletter, get our VA calculator. We put out a lot of content to help you scale your business remote. And if you don't know what a virtual assistant is, it's a great place to start. And I look forward to helping anyone I can right now. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. Really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all this advice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. 
For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.